Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Lads and lasses, it's time for a good old-fashioned destination episode. Today, we're heading to Ireland, the Emerald Isle, one of my favorite places on the planet. And I have a guest who is Irish, of course. I have an Irish guest who's going to give us the skinny on why things are the way they are in Ireland, how history affects modern Ireland, how to partake in a music experience that will never happen again, how to find the local spots. He tells me about a music festival that I just added to my bucket list. We cover a whole wide range of topics, a lot of history, a lot of travel, a lot of fun. It's coming at you right now. So buckle up. Strap in, grab your favorite beverage, maybe a bowl of Lucky Charms. I don't know. Put on a green sweater, whatever you're feeling, and join me on this ride that is today's show. Thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms and to fill your life with as much travel as you desire. And we're doing some virtual traveling today to Ireland, as I mentioned at the top. I have a guest who runs a tour company there, and he's Irish, of course, so he knows all about his home country, having extensively studied the history and also his responsibilities, guiding people, the travelers that come. So he's seeing it through their eyes, and he has it from the locals' perspective, and you're going to hear all of that in today's show. It's uh, one of the places that I'm always excited to go back to. I've just been to Ireland, I guess it's been two or three years ago now. I'm always ready for a trip to Ireland. I'm trying to plot and scheme. You'll hear during the show, I'm already plotting and scheming what I'm going to go back for next. And being here in Norway, where I live, it's not too far. I think I have to do the next trip with my wife because she hasn't not been. And we want to go over, listen to some music, hang out in the pubs, go hiking, do the outdoor stuff, do the small town city stuff, do all the fun things that Ireland has to offer. And it's your turn to get geeked up today on visiting that wonderful country. And I've had some of my most favorite travel experiences 
in Ireland. It's just just a magical place where magical things happen. And if you are over this way, you know Norway's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. We're not talking about Norway today, but I live here in Oslo. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I just met up with some podcast listeners yesterday for a coffee. Well, I drank coffee and got all caffeinated. They didn't because they're not coffee people. But I wanted to say thanks and give a shout out to Nick and Judy for taking the time to see me. They had just a few days here in Oslo. They had changed their travel plans at the last minute and they came over and we met up and they told me all about how they had left their jobs behind, packed up all their stuff and now they're traveling for some months. They just went through Southeast Asia and now they're heading up to the north of Norway where I said, wow, I still haven't been up there. I still haven't been up to the north of Norway and they're coming through and going up there. But uh, anyway, I want to give a quick shout out to them and say thanks for taking time to meet up. And if you are coming through at all, like I said, if you're hopping and skipping around Europe and you pass through, just drop me a line, jason at zero to travel.com. If I can meet up, I will. Always try to do that. It's always a pleasure and a joy to meet up with people in this listening community. And I'll give another shout out to somebody here at the end of the show. So stick around for that. And one more thing before we get into today's show, I want to remind you that we've got all kinds of exciting things happening at zerototravel.com through the email newsletter. So if you want to get the stuff off the podcast, if you want to stay in touch, if you want to be invited to the online events that we're doing where we hang out and we talk travel, we talk uh, location independence, we talk all the stuff that keeps you on the road, then that's how you get invited to those things. You can't hear about those events. I talk about them a little bit on the podcast, but I can't cover everything because I always want to get to the heart of the show for you. So sign up for the email, zerototravel.com. And you can get invited to all those events. And also, we have an in-person event coming up. It's called Camp Indie. If you go to campindie.com, you will see that we are doing a summer camp for adults where you can learn some skills to be location independent, to travel more. But you can also do summer camp things like go kayaking, stay in cabins with new friends. Uh, we're going to have an 80s dance party. It's going to be incredible. And I'm just bringing this up because our ticket prices are going up in a month. So... If you want to come hang out with me and a bunch of other amazing people who are into travel, into a bit more of an unconventional lifestyle, then you should come. It's June 12th through the 14th in Kent, Connecticut, which is a couple hours from New York City. Spectacular location. Beautiful. Come hang out. We'd love to see you there. Okay, without further ado, let's get into today's show, whisking you away to Ireland right now. Please enjoy, and I will... See you on the other side, my friend. I'm, re- I'm recording right now. And uh, since we were testing some audio, I asked you what you had for breakfast. And I, I, I didn't think it was like a sexy question. But then you answered it. And I was like, holy crap. You, you got to tell us what you have for breakfast so everybody can hear. <laughs> what did you have for <laughs> breakfast today? Yeah, it was, I had uh, a ridiculous breakfast of four soft-boiled eggs and broccoli <laughs> and cauliflower. That is just such a strange, interesting, cool breakfast. And so, yeah. You know, you didn't have the beans on toast and the, the black pudding and the whole thing? No, that's, 
that's only what I have on Sundays. Okay. See, that's because <laughs> that's that one bad. of the things I love about Ireland. When I go there, I have that like almost every day. I should let everybody know who I'm talking to, by the way. Um, on with Garvin Rush from Dublin Tour Guide. Dot IE and he runs tours in Dublin. But when you reached out, Garvin, I was really excited because I'm just one of those guys that like loves Ireland. I have a special place in my heart for Ireland, but I, I don't have any Irish descent. There's no reason for that. Or as far as I know, maybe there's something there. I have some Scottish, I know. I don't know. Every time I've visited, it feels like I'm home for some feels reason. like you're home. Yeah, for everybody. Really? So oh, I'm not... A lot okay. of people get this feeling, and it's, there's nothing special about well, me. That is, is what well, you're saying. Thanks, no, thanks a lot. No, about I'm you. <laughs> no, it, it's all Ireland. Ireland's doing all the work. Yeah, so a lot of people come to Ireland, and they they get that sensation that they're home, even though they have no background, and you know, e- even if unlike you, they haven't researched anything about Ireland. It it just has that homely feeling to it, and it's it's. It says a lot about the magic of Ireland, which sounds a bit corny, but there is something here. There is a lot here that you can't put in words and you can't explain. The levels of serendipity are off the charts. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, so if you were to go traveling around Ireland, you would happen upon, um, you would get lost, right? Which is a great thing to do in Ireland because then you increase the likelihood that you're going to encounter a real local experience. So say you're driving in the west of Ireland, you know, you're, you're in County Galway or County Clare or County Mayo, even better, um, uh, because you were supposed to be going to Galway and you ended up in Mayo. Um, and that's a county, not a dressing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Mayo and you're, you're off the main road and you happen upon a, a pub because you've been lost for an hour and you really want a break. And you go into the pub and you, you, you end up staying there for hours. You end up staying the whole night there, right, in a local B&B because you've had so much great fun with the locals there. You'll experience crack, which for the uninitiated, for those who have never visited Ireland, sounds like, well, it sounds like you really don't want to have that in Ireland. But you, trust me, you want to have as much crack as you possibly can in Ireland. Because it's crack spelled C-R-A-I-C. And crack refers to the type of fun that you would have with people. So banter, having a laugh. Basically, you, you'll go into the pub. And you'll, you'll, you'll start as strangers. You'll end as friends. you spend the whole night laughing. You know They'll be drink, buying you drinks. You won't have to buy a single drink the whole night. You know, you'll try. You'll try to buy them drinks. But they won't let you. Because you're the visitor. You know? <laughs> My, my my audience is listening right now. Like you know, these independent travelers are like, "Oh, our ears are perking up." Really? Okay, I can come to Ireland, get free drinks. Are you telling <laughs> me this is an all inclusive country? Oh yeah, but you know, you, you need to earn it. So you know, they'll test with you good at the crack. Point. Yeah, well, you but need not to be the good kind crack. that you take out of your pocket and smoke. We're no. talking about the the banter. No, take it from within yourself. Yes. yes. <laughs> so basically, the 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 fellas at the pub there at the counter. We'll, we'll throw a few insults your way to see how you react to them. And the way you should react to them is by throwing some insults back to them. Yeah. Isn't that always the way to react? Yeah. You know. <laughs> For sure. So, I mean, if they're not mean-spirited to, to a level, right? Yeah. Well, even if they are, you got to take it back. So they might, they might do it in a kind of deadpan way. 
but you still got to bring it back. So if you if you take it to heart, uh, then you're stopping that pub will be very short and you'll miss out on a whole adventure. <laughs> They're like, this person's way too serious. Get out, get out of my freaking pub. Yeah, have get a off sense the of bar humor. stool. So it's Come very on. important in Ireland to have uh, a sense of humor. Um, it's something that, you know, maybe we have that, you know, intrinsically as a nation, as a people, but I also think that we have developed it over time because, you know, in, in Ireland we had some, you know, some sucky history. <laughs> so we had some unfortunate history. And the way that we've adapted to um, you know, transcend that history and get on with life is through optimism and having a laugh and having good times. So it's super important to have that experience, to have the crack in Ireland. So you're saying that good-natured spirit, which I think is the thing that makes me feel at home, right? Because I mean, if you look at the landscape, well, first of all, you have such incredible beauty and landscape and the nature, and we could talk about that later. We're getting some travel tips from you and everything like that. And I know you do guided tours in Dublin, so we're definitely going to hit on Dublin. So I just want to let everybody know a little bit about what's coming. You know, it's such a contrast when you see such a harsh landscape in some places where you're you know, windswept and, you know, brutal conditions at times. And then you go into the pub and and it's not just the warmth of the pub and the wooden and everything, but it's the, it's the warmth of the people. And you're saying a lot of that comes from the harshness of the history and some of the stuff they've had that, that you guys have had to deal with over time. That's where a lot of this sort of good natured spirit is coming from. Yeah. So I like to say that a lot of a lot of explanations for why things are the way they are in Ireland um, can be expressed with reference to two reasons. So basically, nearly everything in Ireland is because of either the English or the weather. Okay, that makes sense. So we are a pub-going country rather than a barbecuing country because of the weather. Right. We we go into the pub because it's raining. We, we stay in the pub uh, because, well, we don't want to think about the history. So we'll get the drink down there and we'll try to forget about it. <laughs> it so using crack in a sentence, I just want to like just so we before we move back past the crack, because I don't want anybody to blow this when they're going to visit Ireland. Um, you would say something like, oh, that was bloody good crack, for example. Yes. Something yeah, like that. So use it as the same way you would use the word fun. Yeah. Okay. Right. Got it. That's an easy trick to remember. Yeah, so we um, had a lot of fun. That was great fun. We we had the best crack. You know, we were right last night. We had the best crack. The way you know that you had the best crack last night is if you wake up in the morning and yeah, you've got a sore head because you're drinking all night, uh, but your cheeks on your face are even sore because you've been laughing all yeah. night. Never stop laughing. So that's how you know that you've had right. a lot of crack. I mean, I don't know if I would say I, I, I don't know as a an American showing up if I tried to use that in a sentence with the locals, be like, "Come on, dude! Like you're you're totally clearly a poser right now. Like only we can say that. You can't say that. You can say fun. You can't say crack." <laughs> well, it, it depends on how you say it. Obviously, you, you got to get the that was some part. darn fine crack, Mister. Well, that yeah, that does sound a bit hilarious. <laughs> That would be not good. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you grew up on the border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. Can we start with Northern Ireland? Because I imagine growing up on the border, 
you were like physically in proximity close to the both sides. So, I mean, do, do you guys think about it as both sides? Is it like a friendly thing? What's going on? Well, let's talk about that. So, well, I suppose the first thing is the time in which I grew up was 30 minutes away from the border. So I was, I was near the border uh, much more so than most people in the Republic of Ireland. Donegal up in the northwest. Um, but I, I wasn't on the border. So that's one thing. However, you know, the insights that I got um, from that proximity would give me a better idea of Northern Ireland than, say, someone from County Cork down in the south of Ireland. Right. Northern Ireland, let's let's try to cover this briefly. So in the 1600s, the English invited thousands of families from England and Scotland over to the north of Ireland, offered them the land there, kicked the Irish off the land and said, basically, you can have this land as long as you remain British, Protestant and loyal. They were very much so a, a very separate identity from the rest of the inhabitants of Ireland. So they maintained that specific identity um, since then. And so in the 1920s, so in 1922, Ireland gets independence from the UK, but Northern Ireland remains part of the UK. And this is decided upon because the majority of the population of those six counties in the north of Ireland were British, Protestant and loyal. Right. So the, right. the demographics Still, were like after 400 years. Or 300 years. Yeah, so back then it was something like 70% British and 30% Irish. So the, the biggest confusing thing for Americans and people around the world is if they've grown up hearing about the troubles in Northern Ireland from basically the late 60s onwards, it was reported in such a way as if it were a religious conflict. Um, so the Catholics and the Protestants, but it was more of an identity you know, and and a better way to explain it would be those who regard themselves as British in Northern Ireland and those who regard themselves as Irish. So it's more about heritage and culture. And yes, religion is one aspect of that. It's a bit like if someone says to you that they're Jewish, uh, you could assume that they're religiously Jewish. But a more important aspect of it, and this is obviously debatable, it depends per person, but a more important ob uh, aspect of it would be their their heritage, their culture, their ethnicity. There's you know there's several different areas to it. Um, so when you say someone's Jewish, it can infer all of those different aspects of their identity. Um, same thing when you say someone's Irish or British in Northern Ireland. If you say they're British, you can assume that they're they're Protestant and they support the union with the United Kingdom. If someone is Irish in Northern Ireland. You can assume that they're Catholic and they support the idea of reunification with the rest of the Republic of Ireland. OK, so that's the most important thing to know about Northern Ireland. You've got, you got two different communities there who have these different histories and heritages. Um, so, you know, Northern Ireland is still part of the United Kingdom. The troubles, just to let everybody know, uh, are over. They've been over since at least 2005, which isn't very long ago. Um, and that is why Brexit is such a hot topic that maybe we won't talk about because things change so much with Brexit. So 
won't we won't speak about that right now but uh northern ireland is a great place to go and visit it's opening up and it's become far more integrated than it used to be so northern ireland is one of the four countries of the united kingdom does some of the animosity still exist or is it generally like what's the vibe nowadays well it depends on who you ask so if you were to ask a typical mature adult anywhere in the on the island of ireland most of them would say that the relationship between the irish and the british on these two isles is 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 better than it's ever been at least it was until brexit kind of <laughs> threw a spanner in the works but we're gonna not going to talk about that as you mentioned because it's too too yeah. shifting too much yeah. yeah and it's politics so we won't we'll go too much into it but um, the point is, you know, Northern Ireland is, is a great place to visit nowadays, and um, the troubles are slowly but surely becoming a distant memory. And you know, once a generation has passed, hopefully Northern Ireland will be able to stand on its own two feet. Um, it can't. It's it's got one leg, and it's it's leaning on the British government economically to support it. So. Um, just to kind of go back to explain that Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, which comprises England, Wales, and Scotland. Think if you're an American, think of these four as states. So four states within the one country. Think about it like that. And in the UK, they, they use different terms, but just assume it's like that. So Northern Ireland has everything that the UK has in terms of the, the currency. So that'd be the most, the most important aspect to think about. Um, so, and then you have the Republic of Ireland. So obviously the Republic of Ireland is, is Irish. So there's not, there's no identity issues there in terms of Irishness and Britishness. What is the culture like around politics? What I mean by that is, is it something that's freely spoken in Irish society or is it something to be avoided? Do you know what I mean? Is it like sort of the general rule, like a don't, don't talk politics and... Uh... Well, it's not as divisive here as it would be in places like the US um, and other places around Europe that are quite polarized. So the politics here, the two main parties, so it's either, and, and we have like around seven parties, okay? But since independence, a lot of our governments comprised coalitions between one of the major parties, one of the two major parties, and one of the minor parties, right? And, and those two major parties, they're both rather central, okay? So when there's a regime shift from one government to the next, it doesn't swing so far. The pendulum doesn't go to the extreme right and then to the extreme left. So politics is very much so less divisive and, and less of an issue here. Obviously, we still have politicians, so <laughs> everyone still has the same problems that we have with having the, you know, the current government. Um, but yeah, you can talk about politics. Okay. You studied medieval Irish and Celtic studies. So what is Celtic? I think it's good to for people to understand... They hear these terms Celtic, Gaelic, and sometimes some of these things, when you're not from the country, can kind of get mixed together and blended in this just, oh, it's just Irish culture. Like, but there's obviously 
they each each term has their own distinct meaning. So do you, you want to give us like the one on one on one on one on some of these terms just to let people know really quick? Right. So um, if you were to look at a map of Europe, you'd see different countries with their different respective languages. Um, and these languages and the associated cultures are related to other countries in Europe. So if you if you went back a good, you know, 6,000 years, most of the cultures of Europe are one culture. And and from that time, they start branching off. Um, so you have Latin-based cultures, right? So do you want to have a guess at any Latin-based cultures in Europe? Italy? Yep. The most obvious one. Do you want me to keep guessing? Keep guessing. Okay. Um, Austria? Nope. No, I'm trying so to think of think, places. Think near of Italy. languages that are close to Italian. Oh, okay. Um, so, I mean, Spain. Yeah, so I guess Spanish, Portugal? Portuguese, yeah, France. You've got half of Belgium. You got a bit of Switzerland, and then you've got Romania as well. The oddball. But so all of those countries have a related culture and language, right? And it's called it's called Romance. They're romance-based languages, right? So those are romantic cultures. And then they all have their respective, um, you know, specific cultures within that, okay? And the same thing with the Germanic cultures. So you've got Germany and Austria, you've got the Netherlands, you've got half of Belgium, you've got Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and you've got England, right? So they all share a Germanic culture, um, and that's evident through the the languages, so the linguistically, the languages are all related. Now, once upon a time, you had a load of Celtic languages because the Celts came from Central Europe about 800 BC. And by 250 BC, there was Celtic tribes and languages spoken as far east as Turkey and as far west as Portugal and, of course, up here in Ireland, right? So you had all these different Celtic languages. Um, nowadays, we've only got two branches of the Celtic languages. So you've got British Celtic, which is Welsh, uh, as well as Breton in Brittany, northwestern Western France. You've also got Cornish, which is in southwestern England. So they're all British Celtic. And then the other branch is called Gaelic Right, so Gaelic Celtic or Gaelic languages. So there's a few Gaelic languages. There's, there are three. So there's Irish Gaelic, there's Scots Gaelic, and there's Manx Gaelic, which is uh, spoken or at least revived, being revived on the Isle of Man between Ireland and Britain. Like one island that speaks their own language. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it was an island. It was isolated. You got to think about how how much more isolated places were for for hundreds of thousands of years. So those languages are are closer. So Irish and Scottish are like, they're, they're quite similar. Some would say they're as similar as, as Spanish and Italian, but also it's different as Spanish and Italian. So if you were able to get a Spaniard and an Italian to slow down, they could speak their respective languages and be understood by the other person. Similarly, if you got someone speaking Scots Gaelic and Irish Gaelic, and ask them to speak slowly and clearly, you would win a Nobel Prize because <laughs> it's very difficult to do. <laughs> but they, they speak similar languages. So 
here you go. You have Celtic. That's a broad term. Gaelic is more a specific term. So the language we speak in Irish, we refer to it as Irish because still Gaelic is a group of languages. Celtic refers to the, you know, it's a general term for the languages and for any culture of of that type. So, you know, Breton and Brittany in France has a Celtic culture. And the key thing is that you pronounce it with a hard C, right? A K sound, Celtic. Uh, and this is because the Greeks were the first to name these people and they called them Keltoi. So that was the pronunciation. So this is why we say Celtic rather than Celtic. Right? Got it. A- anything that's to do with the So we, all along, it's been the Boston Celtics have no, been winning the all the NBA Celtics and we championships. Glasgow Celtic <laughs> as they are. Because, of course, you know, according to the English language rules, that's, that's how you'd pronounce that. And that's fine. But if you want to be specifically talking about the culture, then you'd be um, hard, hard C. You know what could be pretty fun is to go to like a real important game at the Boston Garden and just start cheering. I'm like, go, go Celtics, you stink or something. And I just see and just try to correct everybody around you. Like, historically, you're inaccurate, madam, sir. And uh, that, that could be an interesting. Yeah, and, then, and then take the court. So everybody, everybody, <laughs> you're chanting wrong. Chanting wrong. Listen to me. Listen up, folks. I'm we so got to change from all Boston this. That I'm from Ireland. <laughs> right now, okay. Uh, <laughs> we should do that. Let's make a plan, man. We'll meet up in Boston next year, okay? That, that's the equivalent of an American saying, "Oh, it was great crack." Yeah, the best crack. <laughs> We're gonna put it on the on the calendar right. there. <laughs> it's a it's a challenge. I'll come to Ireland and and do that, and you can come to America and try to correct everybody. Yeah, you do yours garden. in front of one person. I'll do mine in front of a thousand people. In front of the yeah. garden. Go ahead. All right, I want to ask you about studying medieval Irish and Celtic studies because of all the things you could study. I, I'm wondering you personally that like, what fascinated you so much about your own home home country because I think. Oftentimes, of course, this is generalizing. You're in tourism, so you must be interested in travel and like working with tourists and travelers and education and things like that. I always think it's fairly easy to be fascinated with the rest of the world because like you're so familiar with where you grow up that it's like, well, that's I'm used to that. But I mean, you were obviously fascinated enough with your own home country to make it your kind of your main point of study, I suppose I would say. So why? Well, uh, there's, a, there's a few reasons behind it. So I suppose I was always interested in history. And then when I read the prospectus uh, that detailed Celtic studies, I thought this is pretty cool because we in Ireland, um, we have a great respect for our history. And we learn about it in schools, in school. And, and we learn it chronologically, at least we did when I was at school. And the problem with that is that the most recent history, you know, the last 700 years or so, has, has been a litany of bad news, bad luck, and just a lot of losing on our part. So it's a history that makes you somewhat resentful, and angry, maybe bitter, you know, and so that's not a good way to be. Um, and unfortunately, by the time, if you, if you decide to do history in secondary school, in high school, 
by the time you're 17, ready to do your exams, you're nearly apathetic towards the the passions that you had as a as a 10 year old towards history. So you just kind of regard it not so much in color anymore, but more so in, in black and white. It becomes a bit stale. And this happens to a lot of people in Ireland where they lose that verve, that fervor for for history. And Celtic studies, medieval Irish and Celtic studies is basically Ireland before the 12th century, uh, which was the good old days. So these are the reasons to be proud of being Irish. And uh, it may come as a shock to a lot of people, but Ireland and Irish people don't have high self-esteem. Right? We have low self-esteem. We don't have a lot of pride in being Irish. Now, Irish Americans have much more pride in being Irish than we do, um, partly because they're in America and they have summer. <laughs> we're, we're, the English stole summer. We don't have summer anymore. They took it away from us. <laughs> but we... we um, here in Ireland, we, we, we were colonized, taken over by the English for roughly 750 years, right? And this is generations, this involves generations of us being inculcated with the idea that we're inferior. So your, your culture is inferior, being Irish is backwards, become English, speak English, adopt English customs and culture and your children will have a better life than you. So that was the message and that was the truth, right? That was the truth because the British were in charge of everything here in Ireland. Um, so we only got independence in 1922, which in the space of Irish history, in the context of Irish history, it feels, I feel like I was alive in 1922. Right. Like that's how yeah. close the history is. Because you've studied history so extensively. Yeah, yeah but it's... also, yeah, I mean, you know, Medieval Irish Celtic studies is Ireland before the 12th century, and it sounds like a very esoteric and, and narrow range of, of studies, of study, but that's most of Irish history. Most of Irish history is before the 12th century. You know, it is 5,000 years of history or so. Um, so I wanted to reignite uh, a love and admiration for the golden age of Ireland when the Irish back in the early medieval period, were known as being scholars and saints, right? They were known as the Arnon is the land of saints and scholars. So you had all these monasteries that um, patronized scholars um, and all various types of artists, metal workers, stonemasons, etc., So it was the good old days. So I, I was revived with an admiration for for Irish history, um, and so I decided to study it, and it just it just got even better. You know, I was just amazed, and I wanted to tell Irish people about this. Um, but um, Irish people already know a good bit about history, so I thought, you know what, probably it'd be easier to tell tourists and have them as ambassadors to bring up the global self esteem for Ireland. You know. I think one of the things that can get lost in the shuffle of uh, preparing for a trip, you got so much going on with the logistics and you know, figuring out where you're going to go, all that good stuff, is studying the history. Because the history of a place is what makes it what it is today. And it's really, I think if you dive into the history a bit, 
it might it's still difficult i think for a traveler to pick up on the nuances and the subtleties of a culture unless you're living there for a period of time i've noticed that just relocating and actually living in a, another country for a period of years i can see now how you know my prior life of like passing through a lot of them at a relatively quick pace i guess you would say com- compared to you know spending years in a place you can't pick a lot of things up you know a lot of the cultural nuances so but i think you have a better chance of picking up on some things when you study history. Would you agree with that? I just want to hear some of your thoughts on using history as a, as a backbone for travel. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, as I suppose we could take this in two ways. One is as a traveler who's just in a city temporarily. And second is as a, as a traveler worker where you're a digital nomad or you're, you're traveling to a city and you're going to stay there for a year. You're going to live there, Right. So there's two different, I suppose, levels of depth that are required. For the first one, you know, you need to understand the people in order to properly understand the city. Because the city without its people is a ruin. So the buildings, oh, nice building. That's a nice building. What does it mean? I don't know. So if you have a guide, they can explain to you what the building, what this complex means to the people that are currently living in it, and indeed what it meant to people before. And then you have in one shot, in one view, this new view of um, a a chapter in that city's history or that place's history. Um, So history can explain, I mean, because you can talk about battles and, you know, there are some guides that want to express the importance of dates. And unfortunately, a lot of people develop an aversion to history because of the tendency to focus on dates. And I say to my tour guides, I say, it's important that you know the dates. It's important that you don't tell the tourists the dates. So they, so you don't get the glazed over expressions? Is that yeah. what you mean? <laughs> yeah. If you, if you, so if I, if I go to Portugal, right, if I go to Lisbon, visit you, and that's where you are right now. No, I'm in, I'm in Norway. If I went there, because I'm historically minded, I will go um, and ask you, you know, you'll, you'll tell me about a building. And I was like, okay, so when was that? What year was that? So I will need to know the specific year because of, of my understanding of history. But most people, you know, they're fine with a century. As I say, in the 1700s, this yeah. is what happened. And, you know, history is important on so many levels, but the, the key to history, at least in terms of doing a tour, is to allow you to understand the journey of that particular place and its people and to develop a, a personal connection with that place. You know, So talking about the architecture and the particular styles of the building, yeah, maybe interesting in itself and in particularly for an architecture tour, rather essential. But for a normal tour, you want to talk about the significance of the building uh, over time and how that's added to the particular character and face of the city or the place that you're in. Um, In terms of understanding history for a, a digital nomad or someone who's living in a foreign place, um, it's even more important to understand the people. So to understand how history has shaped that society and how that society 
acts and behaves a certain way. So I'll give you an example in an Irish context. Um, the British were in charge here for a good while. Uh, the British made the rules. We didn't like the British, so we disobeyed the rules, right? So we got into the habit of breaking the law, right? So if you go to Dublin today and you try to cross the road and you, you press the, you know, the button there and you wait patiently, uh, you'll witness loads of Dubliners just going straight across, right? The, 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 the red man is showing, you know, don't walk, but they're going straight ahead, um, partly because the lights take a long time to change, but also partly because we have this habit of breaking the law. Now, obviously, this is kind of a minor crime, right? Um, but I would venture in saying that that is partly because of a habit that we developed when the British were in charge, and we still have it. So that's potentially the cause of it. Um, and you've got things like, um, you know, the reason why we don't eat outside here, you know, it's because it rains frequently. The reason why pubs are bigger here than, than you know, places in Europe where cafe culture is a bigger thing, you know. Um, so there's all these reasons to explain it. And I suppose in terms of someone who's living in a foreign country, um, understanding the, the people um, and how they do the things they do, why they do the things they do is important for integrating with those people. Um, so a big difference between Portugal and Norway is in Norway, it's a Germanic people. So they're a bit more reserved. They're not as overtly friendly, let's say, as the Portuguese. Um, and they have a different way of doing things. So socializing with Norwegians perhaps will be more difficult than socializing with Portuguese. Maybe with the Norwegians, it's more of a thing where you, you, you have a coffee with them rather than a beer late at night. All right. So we, we kind of covered history. And I mean, we didn't cover it, but we can only go so deep with history. This again, this is in the history podcast. We're going to stick more on travel. And I want to talk about the, the Irish music because this is one of my favorite parts it's definitely this combination of it's the people, of course, the nature, and then coming in from some kind of outdoor either adventure or just setting, looking at beautiful things, but being out in that weather and then coming into a warm pub and then topping it off, not just with like a delicious pint and some good crack, but then over, you know, up in a booth or like over in a corner somewhere, very kind of casual, nonchalantly, you'll just have these people sitting around a table playing incredible songs, singing incredible songs, and just having a pint. And it's just like, I, I don't know, it's so charming. And I love music. So I feel like this can be what I'm about to say can be true of, of a lot of countries. But I mean, really, for me, Ireland in particular, the culture is in the music if you listen closely enough. And that just there, just music can tell you a lot about, I think, history and the place and, and everything. There's no better place, I don't think, on, on the planet to just go and have a beer and, and listen to musicians and be a part of that. Tell us about 
the music in Ireland, trad and the traditional Irish music and, and what people are seeing and how it all works. And I just want, I know you, you're a heavy metal guy, right? So I don't know if this is your cup of tea, so to speak, or your pint of beer, but yeah, tell us about it. Well, so obviously everyone knows what, what Irish music sounds like. And of course, some people call it Celtic music. That's that generalizing term. But, you know, you have the diddly eye music, as, as we call it. Um, the traditional Irish music or tribe music and what obviously the, the music itself and the musicianship of the musicians is is a sight to behold and obviously it's it's quite an experience for your ears as well so you've got this incredible music but one one of the best things is you're not just people don't really understand that you don't go to a pub and there's a band playing it's as you said you go to a pub and that pub, if it's out in the country, if it's a local pub, will have a day of the week or maybe a few days of the week where they'll have a session, a traditional Irish music session. And the session is wonderful in that it is um, random. It's sporadic. It, they, sure, they have it at a set time. Generally, proper trad sessions don't start until 9.30 at night. Um, but it's open to any musician to come. So some nights you can come and there'll be four musicians and they'll play a lot of songs. And, you know, unless you're well familiar with Irish music, it'll just all sound like the same tune. <laughs> it might do. Four musicians one night and then another night it might be 10 musicians. And then one night, maybe 17 musicians, like half the pub is made up of musicians. And every night is different. Right. And this is what makes it wonderful, because you have the opportunity to partake of an experience that will never happen again. It's not a four piece band that have been paid by the pub to come and play there. It's a unique it's a unique experience to be in there. And of course, the whole experience you'll remember with a screen of alcohol over your eyes in in the sense that this is this was a mythical magical wonderful experience so i mean obviously the, the alcohol just enhances the the experience and you've got the crack so you've got a great mixture for living life um and i think irish culture which you could argue is is 26 centuries old which is pretty good going even in Europe. You know, we've been going for a while and we figured out what's a good way to live. And you've got to give the Irish a lot of credit for knowing how to enjoy themselves. But music is such an important part of being Irish and Irish society and Irish culture that our national emblem is a musical instrument. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, is it, is it like that within each individual? If you're Irish, it's it's you. No, a music. No, a big, I mean, I, I mean, it seems know, like there's more like musicians in Ireland than the average country. I don't know if that's true. If it's just like some kind of idea. I, I, I don't have the statistics, but I have a feeling that that's true. Yeah, yeah. It it, it is music is it's dominant. Well, I mean, if you could pick other nations in Europe. Very few, if any other nation, you would say, oh, that's that's that particular nation's music. You know, Irish music has a particular sound to it. You know, 
when we think of well, I think of French music, I generally think of chansons from like the 1950s and 60s, that type of music, right? Um, when people think of Italian music, maybe they think of anything that Pavarotti sings, <laughs> right? And then I, I, at Spanish music, I'm I'm more ignorant, right? So. You could say that Ireland has a very strong music culture, and some would argue that it's stronger than it's ever been because we have all these various schools and academies and a whole, I suppose, support system and culture to encourage the young people to take it up. Um, one of the best experiences, just in terms of travel, one of the best times to come to Ireland is when the Fla Kjol is on. So Fla Kjol means the festival of music. So Flakjol Neheren, the, the Irish music festival, is on every year, uh, generally in August. And it's in a different town um, every two years. So, how do you spell that? Oh, yeah. How do you spell it indeed? Uh, F-L-E-A-D-H. So that is a week-long festival, and if you go to a town that has it, I was there in Drogheda this year for the FLA. You just walk down the street, and, and every 20 to 30 meters or so, or even more frequently, there is a session happen, happening. Right? There's a lot of musicians that are just sat down, and they're playing some tunes, and this is happening all day and oh, that sounds, early into the morning. I have to come, man. Uh, can we meet up at the next one? It's the best crack, yeah. So I don't know if Drahada is holding it again next year. But It looks um, like it's it's the Flod Kiol. Is that yes. right? C-H-E-O-I-L. Just 2020 the is word. a... Type the first one into Google, you'll find it. Mullingar. 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 Oh, well, I'll definitely be at that one then. Okay. Yes. Mullingar. Man, so I to got it. To from Dublin. Ah, that sounds so right in my alley. Go to that and stay in a B and B there, um, and it's it's the most Irish time of the year. It's it's the most Irish experience because just music is everywhere. the The crack is ninety, as we'd say, and people are just chatting to everybody. It's just a, a fantastic experience. Um, so that's the best time to come in Ireland, really. If you can come to the Flia, that'd be great. And Mullingar is a you know, somewhat large town, so there's there's plenty of space for everybody. Um, but I don't know, you got like what a hundred thousand people. I don't know how many people come to it, but it explodes. It was in my hometown, which is a large town, and it was just amazing. So just a great experience. Wow. Yeah. Um, I was because I was googling so I could make sure I found it so I could bookmark this for later because I'm seriously going to try to go next year, August second to the ninth, twenty twenty time of this recording last year's event attracted 400,000 visitors to the town with up to 10,000 musicians and this is according to the irish times uh, an article so that's that's mad man that's crazy so uh okay what is your relationship to music you you like metal i heard i mean you you sing well i i do a bit of that i was in various bands throughout the last 10 years or what is it supposed to be like 15 years now at this stage uh, but yeah, I, I love I love metal. Um, there's a lot of similarities between metal and traditional Irish music. Really? Um, generally, the speed and the musicianship are quite high. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the number of notes per second <laughs> is rather high as well. Do you um, sing any traditional Irish songs? Um, oh, when I'm doing the tours, yeah. All so right, can, I, can we hear something? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. I'll have to cover up and move the microphone a bit further away. Okay. 
on Raglan Road of an autumn's day. I saw her first and knew that her dark hair would weave a snare that I might one day rue. I saw the danger and I passed along the enchanted way. And I said, let grief be a fallen leaf at the dawning of the day. Beautiful, man. Thank you. Giving me chills over here and not from the cold Norwegian winter or fall at the time of this recording. Thank thank you. Thanks for doing that. Do you have any tips on finding like a good local session outside of, you know, just asking around? I mean, is there is there like a feeling? Should you talk to the bartender? Like, you know, how do we get into these local spots in Ireland? And I know you can speak a lot from about Dublin, but obviously you've been all over Ireland. So uh, I just, yeah, just give us some well, tips on... When, when you come to Ireland, get in the habit of talking to strangers, right? This is, this is a big difference here in Ireland. Everyone talks to everybody. So talk to, talk to strangers, ask them where the session is. Uh, obviously, you're going to be aiming more for someone of the older generation than the younger generation. Um, ask the barman. I ask the barman, when's, where's a good session? And they might tell you it's in their pub if they have one. Um, and you can stick around for that. And then you'll be talking to people, listening to the music in that pub. And then they'll find out in another session. So uh, you have to plan ahead because generally, depending on the pub, it, it won't be on a Friday or a Saturday evening. It'll be on one of the quieter nights of, of the week um, for, for normal pubs. Um, so that'll be a good one to do. You know, you've got in, in Dublin, Dublin is is the least Irish part of Ireland in a lot of ways. So you're going to get more sessions and more authentic Irish experiences outside of Dublin. Um, so I mean, the Temple Bar area is a great place to hear Irish music, but it's not a great place to get an Irish experience. And by that, I mean... They may have the music there, you may be in a pub, but there, there's no Irish people in that pub. The musicians may be Irish, maybe. <laughs> but that's not an authentic experience. Whereas if you go out west and you go and get lost and happen upon a pub, you'll get an Irish experience. Mm. You know? So ask, ask around. Yeah. I mean, I still remember distinctly those Irish music experiences that I've had out in the countryside in these pubs. It's a, It really is a magical thing. And you really brought it home by kind of the way you described that it's a you know it'll never happen again and this is unique collection of musicians playing a unique collection of songs uh that's such a cool thing well dublin's your your main gig i guess we could say you do walking tours of dublin again we can um drop your website link here it's uh, dublintourguide.ie tell us about dublin man i mean how do we avoid tourists in dublin first of all avoid tourists is that possible well, the, the city centre is tourist? rather <laughs> compact, but I mean, you wouldn't want to avoid tourists because 
But Dublin is not like one of these, it's not like, say, Paris, which has been traditionally a very important and, you know, um, popular tourist destination. Dublin, I like to think, and Ireland is is something you would do once you've visited the main places, then you want to try something different. So thankfully, the tourists that we get uh, are of a higher caliber, I'd like to I'd like to say. But obviously, I'm just I just want to compliment Ireland in that, in that note there. Um, but you know, it's not super busy. It's it's not a super busy place. Yeah, you know, the summer months are are busier than the rest of the year. But we we do get tourists all year round. Um, Dublin is a great city to walk around. You know, it, it's compact. Everything is nearby, so most of the sites that you're going to see, you you can walk to them. Uh, it's quite an interesting city architecturally because most a lot of the architecture is from the 1700s. And so if you think of that and now realize that most of the architecture in Paris, beautiful Paris, is from 1850 onwards, you realize that Dublin actually has, you know, visually an older charm to it than Paris. Um, and I like to say that Dublin has huge amount of character because of that because the 1800s and to a lesser extent the 1900s were poor centuries for dublin there wasn't a lot of development there wasn't a lot of money and and the city you know persevered despite all of that so you have these old buildings and even the new buildings that come up they're restricted in terms of the height and in terms of the architecture so you know, there's new. I saw someone taking a, a professional photographer taking a photo of a new building yesterday, and it was a red brick building that was, I think, one story higher than the 18th century building beside it. Hmm. So it looked the same. So you know. So they're smart about their urban planning. Yeah, in some respects, at least as far as the tourists are concerned, that's one of the great things. It it doesn't turn into New York in terms of skyscrapers. Um. You know, so we, we pay homage to the great golden age for Dublin, which was the 1700s. Um, and the streets are wonderfully twisty and windy and, you know, blocks don't exist. And one street changes its name seven times. So it's you know, each section of that street has its own story because the city developed naturally. Right. It developed piece by piece from the year 841 onwards. So it's just kind of been huddled together. But um, yeah, obviously I could go on about Dublin. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, big, give, us your, um, give us your quick hit, like must-sees in Dublin. Okay. So uh, rather than whittle it down to three uh, or extend it to five, I'm going to go with a weird number, which is four. So it's four great attractions. And if you do... If you do all of these, you'll you'll have a fantastic time in Dublin. You'll 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 have won a golden star as a tourist. Right? Oh <laughs> They'll my. give it to you at the airport on your way out. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but in your passport. <laughs> so you've got the old library at Trinity College, which hosts the Book of Kells, which is arguably the greatest treasure that Ireland possesses. So it's an incredible. Um, illuminated manuscript just a, an incredible work of art uh it also hosts the oldest harp in ireland and the library itself is breathtaking you know people just go up the stairs round the corner and drop their jaws 
by what they see ahead of us. Them, it, it just it looks like a movie set. Um, so that's an incredible experience. The old library at Trinity College. Uh, another, these are in no particular order. Another one is Kilmainham Jail. So that is spelled jail is spelled G A O L. Uh, and I'll spell out Kilmainham just for the hell of it. K I L M A I N H A M. Kilmainham Jail. Um, it's built in 1796, and it's famous because that was where the executions of the leaders from the 1916 rebellion uh, took place. So you have 14 martyrs were shot there. And this rebellion in 1916 led to what eventually became Irish independence. So for, for Irish people, it's a hugely important site. Uh, but just for any visitor, you get a, a fantastic tour. The tour guides there are very, very good. Um, it takes you through, obviously, the history of the jail itself. It's, it's a fantastic experience. So that's Kilmainham Jail. You'll need to book that in advance. Um, generally, at least two days in advance because it is very popular, rightfully so. Um, but it's a you know, limited size, so they're going to do so many tours. So anyway, Kilmainham Jail. Um, the National Museum of Archaeology and History is wonderful and vast. So that's free, which is a great reason to visit it. If you can visit that at the start of the day, so in other words, don't go to the Guinness Storehouse and then go there. Because <laughs> you're going to be falling asleep on top of some of the displays. So it is like your traditional five out of five difficulty level museum. You know, it is dusty thing, read the plaque, you know. So with that in mind, and I don't mean any disrespect to it, because I love going to it, it's fantastic, but people are going to get tired. So you have to go in there with a plan because there's so many exhibitions to see. And this, this is the best plan, in my opinion. Limit yourself to two exhibitions. One is called The Treasury, which has a lot of wonderful um, ornate decorative objects like torques, chalices, and brooches and things like that. So that's the treasury. And another one is called the Kingship and Sacrifice Exhibition. And this gives you an insight into pre-Christian Ireland with the remains of human sacrifices. So you've got these bodies, men who were killed roughly about 200 BC, thrown into the bog. And the bog, which is kind of like a, a swamp, you know, it's, it's where we get turf and peat from that's very wet and it's also very acidic so if you throw something in there oxygen has a hard time getting in and bacteria has a hard time surviving so objects decompose very slowly in there so they found these bodies these two bodies anyway there's a few in there two of them are found in 2003 and they're so well preserved that you can see each guy's skin you can actually see the pores on his hands. One of them has his head and has his hair on his head. And they even found hair gel in his hair. Really? Crazy. <laughs> yeah. So that's amazing. And it's obviously quite ghoulish and ghastly to see these, these figures from over 2000 years ago looking relatively, you know, preserved relatively pretty much intact in terms of i mean and talking about intact 
still have the last meal of one of the fellas. Right, that was preserved, so they know what time of year he was killed, or what time, yeah, what time of the year he was killed. So that's crazy. Anyway, that's the Nash Museum. Five out of five difficulty level. Do that first when you're the freshest in the morning. Um, something that's easier is uh, Epic. It's called Epic. It's the Irish Emigration Museum. That's like three out of five difficulty level. Maybe even a bit easier, but um, it's a fantastic museum. It's rather new. It's only a few years open now. And it has, it's basically the story of Irish emigration. So the history of people leaving Ireland and going off to different places, uh, their descendants, uh, why they left. And then, you know, the best thing about it is there's so many individual stories. So when you walk in, you'll see up on the wall, there'll be um, a projection of the film and there'll be some actors in it and each of them tells you their individual story and why they left Ireland and what they did over in England in the 1930s or they went from Ireland from County Cork in the 1970s and got on a boat and arrived in Boston and blah 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 blah. so you learn about normal people average people you also learn about notable historical figures for example the father of the Argentinian Navy was an Irish guy. And there's half a million Argentinians of Irish descent, right? Crazy. And then the, the father of Chilean independence was a guy called O'Higgins, right? So there's another Irish guy, Bernardo O'Higgins, or at least of Irish descent. So you learn about all these great stories. You know, you've got Che Guevara, you got Charles de Gaulle, and people like this that you don't realize have Irish ancestry. So it's a fascinating museum. It's great to do with kids as well because you get a little passport that you stamp on every section. Um, you know, it's the passport is is only for the kids, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a passport of anything. I'll go crazy with it. I read. I read everything. I'm gonna stop it. Yeah, just give me the stamp. All right, cool. Uh, three places outside of Dublin that maybe are a little bit off the beaten track or maybe lesser known or or even if they are known, just give me your three top choices for getting soaking in Ireland in an yeah. authentic way. So um, the, one of the best places is Ireland is the West. You know, the West Coast, you know, the the scenery there. And the fact that it's 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 more Irish, right? It's farther away from the big cities. If you can get over there, great. If you could spend a week or more driving along the West Coast, or it's known as the Wild Atlantic Way, all the better. Uh, if you're in Dublin for three days, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, you can, of course, take a one-day trip to get over to see the cliffs of Moher and Galway. But that's a super long day and you really it's not a good good use of your time. So if you're in Dublin for just a weekend and you want to get out of the city and, and see some of Ireland, there's two options. You can either go slightly to the north or slightly to the south. So in the south is County Wicklow and Wicklow is a, a wonderful mountainous area. Now you're talking Irish mountains, you're not take, talking Alps or Himalayas here. Uh, so they're gentle rolling hills that we call mountains. Um, but that's where you get your proper Irish scenery. So you've got beautiful green areas. You've got some bog there as well. 
and hopefully you'll make your way to Glendalough. Glendalough is the main attraction there, and that's an old monastic ruin um, from the early medieval period. And that's just a beautiful scenery as well, because Glendalough means the valley of two lakes. Uh, so you can walk around the first lake, and then you have a view of the monster, huge lake. Um, speaking of monsters, there's there's a monster in it as well, apparently. So that's Wicklow. That's a great day trip to the south. Um, so that's for if you want to see the beautiful Irish scenery and learn about St. Kevin and his monastery there at Glendalough. Um, very important for anybody called Kevin to learn about Kevin, the original Kevin. Um, another option is to go north to County Meath. So in County Meath, County Meath is probably the most important county in Ireland, historically, culturally, because there's so many important monuments there. So it's Meath spelled M-E-A-T-H, right? Wicklow is W-I-C-K-L-O-W. So County Meath has Newgrange, which is uh, this world famous site. It's a passage tomb from 5,000 years ago. So supposedly it's from at least 3,200 BC, which is a year that's somewhat incomprehensible, right? 3,200 BC, what does that even mean, right? Over 5,000 years ago. So this is a tomb that you could walk into roughly about 20 meters in, and it's aligned with the winter solstice. So on the 21st of December, the sun shines in, and historically, what this did, did a few things, but one thing it did it was it brought the cremated remains of anyone who died that year. And by anyone, I mean any royalty or notable people. It brought their souls back up to the heavens from whence they came. And it also reconnected the heavens back into everybody else who was cremated there and left there over centuries right so it's a quite a, a wonderful place the guides there are very good for giving you an idea of the, the mystique and the antiquity of everything you're seeing um, so and and that's basically me in general because you've got Newgrange you've got the hill of Tara which was the capital of Ireland for roughly 3,000 years so super important place and um, really need a guide to go on the hill of Tara because there's not much there anymore, but just huge significance of Tara. I mean, I you know, obviously I do tours of Dublin, but I could easily do a five hour tour on the hill of Tara. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of just, you know, if you have a handful of days and you do want to get out of the city to check out one of these places that you recommend, yeah. it's just and something can't different. Me with Newgrange, with Tara, with the town of Kells, and then you've got Monaster Boyce in the neighboring county. If you want to get a real sense of the, the age, the mystique, the mystery, and the history of Ireland, that's a great place to go. Amazing. So there's a lot of people, a lot of guides that I know, they do tours just to that area because of how significant it is. Unfortunately, most tourists don't know about it. But yeah. you're, you're hearing it here, folks. Here we go. No, now. Got the scoop. Just a couple more things. The food. We haven't talked about food yet. I mean, what are we eating while we're running around here? Is What is the culinary state of Ireland right now? Well, uh, as you were mentioning earlier on, uh, the breakfast is for, a Of course, thing. the standard issue, four boiled eggs, cauliflower, and broccoli breakfast. 
No. Oh, no, that's not the freaks for me like me. <laughs> now, if you're staying in a hotel or better yet, a B&B, uh, you'll get your traditional Irish breakfast, which you know, it's really just an English breakfast with a few things changed around. But we don't like to talk about that. So you've got um, sausage, you've got a rasher, which is bacon, as you would call it in America. But it's a different cut. It's a meatier cut. So that's a rasher. Then you've got black pudding and white pudding. And these are pork products. Uh, the black pudding with is made with blood. It has blood in it. It's delicious. Just eat it. Don't worry about it. Eat it. <laughs> Some sort of egg. And then generally fried mushrooms maybe a grilled tomato and then some some people think that they need to put beans with it but uh i don't like beans so i disagree with that no definition. So i love irish, the irish breakfast. Bre- i'm obsessed with the irish breakfast that was that's like my yeah that's great that's so that's your go-to, go-to thing yeah, yeah have that and you won't be hungry until dinner time no you know you uh, at lunchtime you're like oh i'm not really that hungry that's because you had a huge amount of meat and fat for breakfast hmm and it was delicious. So that's a great thing to get. And um, the pubs around Ireland, um, most of them, a lot of them will serve food. And you will hopefully, you will generally be pleasantly surprised with the quality of the food. Right. And so the, I don't know if that reputation still persists in places around the world that you get bad food in Ireland. But it, if it was true, it's no longer true. Um, obviously, in Dublin, if you're in Dublin and you're, you're flying into Dublin and you've got like a week in Ireland, uh, use Dublin to your advantage. You know, you're talking, the, you're, you're, you're in a large city. It's going to have great restaurants. Uh, yes, it's going to have pubs, but around the countryside, you're going to have loads of pubs. So you really, well, unless you're really fond of fish and chips and stew, you don't want to be eating that for every dinner. Right. You're saying like avoid the pub meals if you're going to be other places, eat it there. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So there's great, great restaurants in like Dublin. Like TGI Fridays and those places, right? I'm just yeah, kidding. Captain America's. <laughs> yeah. So there are, you know, some lovely restaurants that obviously do... You have your Thai restaurants and your Italian, your French, whatever. Uh, but you've got also these Irish restaurants, um, you know, kind of Michelin star and just below Michelin star that are promoting Irish produce, you know. So um, give you an example. Black pudding. I love black pudding. Um, I can get beechwood smoked black pudding. Oh, yeah. It's really okay, good. yeah. So it's like they're putting like a... Yeah, sort of a modern day twist around some of the yeah. traditional meals. Exactly. Yeah. And Irish cheeses. Oh yeah, for sure. If you can get to I don't want to say a cheesemongers, but if you can go to a good supermarket or of course the cheesemongers if you can find it, um Cork City has a great market called the English Market. Um, just an amazing place to walk around and buy some fresh produce there. But Ireland is producing a lot of great cheeses that are winning a heck of a heck of a lot of awards uh, because the milk is so good why is the milk so good uh, because there's grass everywhere why is there grass everywhere because it rains so frequently so there you go we have great cheese because of the weather yeah so, so the, butter, it all goes cheese. back to what were the things you said in the beginning the two reasons the weather and and the english yeah. and the english right so it's like it, everything we're talking about falls into one of those categories still right yeah sometimes too <laughs> i mean the case we have so many fields because the english cut down a lot of our forests so we have all this pasture land now yeah right. what are the biggest misconceptions about ireland do you think um 
well, one one of the most annoying ones is the accents. So, you know, Irish people have had to put up with watching American movies where there's some American attempting an Irish accent. I'm, I'm sorry, man. If we could just get Liam Neeson to star in everything, right? Well, is Liam Neeson is only is, one of the handful of of Irish actors that are hanging around Hollywood. I mean, you look at Game of Thrones, like a third of the actors are Irish. Yeah. Like a lot of the main ones are, are Irish, you know? Um, so there shouldn't be any reason why we would have to suffer that Hollywood Irish accent again. That's by far the most annoying thing, I think, for <laughs> Irish people. Also, you know... Are you listening, Hollywood? Clean up your act. <laughs> yeah, I get Killian Murphy and Liam Cunningham or, you know, My- Michael Fassbender or any of these guys or girls, Saoirse Ronan, to do Irish accents. Please, please. Um, other misconceptions about Ireland. Well, you, you tell me. I don't know. I mean, what were your I, misconceptions before you came to Ireland? So it is very green. That's that's true. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, one thing that could be. I mean, because of the pub culture, I feel like people think that just everybody in Ireland drinks like crazy, and I don't think that's true. No, we we have uh, we drink it in a different way, you know. So drinking is to enhance a social experience, and the pub functions more so as a cultural amenity than as a dispensary for intoxication. So you go to the pub. Historically, the pub was a living room big enough to fit the whole village in it. So it would function as a newspaper. You'd hear the gossip. You'd hear the news. It would function as a school because the older ones would teach the younger ones how to behave and teach them things. You would hear music, so it's a bit like a concert hall. Um, you'd hear stories, so it's a bit like the cinema. Um, and so, you know, it's got multi, uh, multi elements to it. Uh, multifactorial is what I want to say. Um, and then the alcohol just helps all that bend together. But we don't, we don't try to get drunk here in Ireland. Yeah, we do have, you know, people who are like that, like any society, but. In general, most people will drink because they're in the pub and they're socializing. So it's more so a pub is where you go to socialize. Yeah. What is your favorite story from Irish history? Do you have one? Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's the most epic story I've ever heard. <laughs> you don't want to hear it, though. <laughs> is there uh, like an anecdote or just like a little story that... Uh, stands out to you that either exemplifies something about Irish culture or... Um... Yeah, well, I'll tell you the epic story. Okay. Uh, I'll briefly, briefly tell you. Okay. So this, this, there's this hero called Cúchulainn. And Cúchulainn is like an Irish Achilles. And on his last day, he's fighting an entire army by himself. Just a normal Tuesday afternoon for Cúchulainn. Um, he is kicking ass, though, because he's not a regular mortal. Right? His father was a god. Right? So he's, got, he's kind of a demigod. Um, and every time he swings his sword, he kills not two people or three people or four people, but nine people. Nine. Right? So he's kicking ass. and Eventually, he receives a mortal wound in the stomach and he's going to die. Uh, so he holds himself 
tries to fight on and he hobbles his way to a standing stone, holds on to the standing stone. He wants to die on his feet, you see. He doesn't want to die in the mud looking up at his enemies. And he also doesn't want to give up fighting. So he goes to the stone, holds himself up, but the, the strength is evaporating from his arms. So what he does is he grabs his protruding intestines and wraps them around the stone. And he ties himself to the stone with his own guts. And can you imagine how the army feels when they see this? They're like, this guy, I mean, oh my God, what the hell? What the hell? So they're looking to do this. And even though he's there on the stone, practically dead, they're still like 50 meters away from him because it's Kuk Cullen, right? They're still scared to death of this guy. So they wait and they wait. And a raven lands on his shoulder. And it's no ordinary raven. It's the goddess, the Morrigan. And she had visited him that morning to say, but by the end of the day, Kukulin, I will be feasting on your flesh. And right enough, she shows up and starts picking at him. He is dead. And the army realize this. And they breathe a collective sigh of relief. They approach Kukulin and they want to cut off his head. Casey's a vampire, right? No. You want to cut off his head because that was a great thing to have as a trophy. And that's what they did back then. So back then is like 2,000 years ago. So they go to cut off his head, but in order to do that, they need to get a good look at his neck. So they move the hair that it's on his neck. And when they do that, his dead, limp body moves a little bit on the stone. And the sword that's in his hand slides out and comes down and cuts off the hand of the man who was trying to cut off his head. So even in death, he kept on fighting. So you can see a sculpture of Ku Cullen's death at the post office on O'Connell Street. And the post office is significant because that's where the rebellion of 1916 started. And part of the point of having that sculpture there is to reflect the fact that we, the Irish, never stopped fighting. We never gave up, right? We're the Rocky Balboa of nations. We keep on getting punched in the face. We keep on falling down. But the more we fall down, the better we are at picking ourselves up. And so you can see how Cucullin's story has echoed throughout the next 2,000 years of Irish history to inspire those in 1916 who went out against the odds with a high chance of failure, did it nonetheless, and succeeded in changing Ireland forever. And much like we haven't forgotten the story of Cucullin 1,500 years later, Hopefully, we will never forget the story of the men and women of 1916 for their sacrifice, for their fight. Wow. What a tale, man. I love it. Thank you. 
Garvin, of course, you can find his website, dublintourguide.ie. You can hear that he can spin a good yarn. He can sing. He can uh, tell you all about the history of this country. So obviously, uh, very well qualified to show us around. How do you like running a tour company, man? Oh, it's great. Well, I mean, every day is is different in some respects. But, um, you know, one of the tricky things is, you know, when I started... Uh, it was only me. I was running the whole company and I was doing the tours and I was getting a lot of bookings because people were talking about my tours online. That's and then not we'll- exhausting at all, right? Which? Running a business and doing all the yeah. tours and... <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> I got this. Yeah, I'll just, you know, have a shower and brush my teeth while I'm asleep. No problem. <laughs> so then I started realizing that, well, I need to find some guides who share the same passion, enthusiasm, and have the same attitude towards being a tour guide. And that attitude is, I want to give you the best tour you've ever had. I don't want to just give you a good tour. I don't just want to give you the greatest tour of Dublin. I want to give you the best tour you'll ever have that has you not only understanding Ireland and feeling Ireland, but gives you a new insight into your own culture your own nation's history so it's been a hard search you know because good great guides are very very rare um so i find a lot of i found some good guides i found some great guides i trained them in and made them even better guides so we have like six guides uh, in the company at the minute and i have a few people working for me um on the back end so in the office well it's a it's not really an office office, digital office. Uh, I've got um, people handling the, the bookings. Um, I got three other people basically handling the bookings so uh, that I can try to focus on. How long have you been doing this? Tour guiding since 2009. Um, set up my own thing 2010. And that didn't take long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I thought you were going to say, it. then in 2015 or something, you know, like, yeah. no, like one year later, you're like, all right, I'm, I can do this myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the company and its current incarnation is, is from 2017. Yeah. I think it's an interesting business because, you know, being based somewhere and, and being a lover of travel, it's like you get kind of, when you're in a business like that, it's like travel comes to you a bit, right? Because you get people from all over the world. You get to show them around, show them things that you're passionate about and teach them something. And then you also get to learn from them as people from other nations. And uh, and then you get to have that collective sort of kind of like the musicians in the session, right? It's like this, you know, one unique collection of people, this one experience that you're going to have for this short time and, and it's never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. It's exactly like that because we... We may have these tours with suggested itineraries, um, but we say to each each person that books, now generally we, we do private tours, right? Because we want to connect with people. Can't connect with 30 people in three hours. You, connecting with 30 people, you might be able to do that over the course of a week, but we got three or five hours uh, to connect with people and we want we like small groups. The guides like small groups and the people in the groups want to talk to the guide and connect with the guide. So it's all about that. And the guides are highly experienced and trained and they love it. They relish the opportunity to change the tour based on the, the whims and the requests and the interests 
of the participants on the tour. So, you know, I, I meet up with people and I say, hey, well, what are you guys interested in? Are you interested in literature? You know, what do you do for a living? You know, and they're like, oh, OK, well, let's pop into the National Library over here or let's go into the museum. We didn't plan it, but you're going to love it. It's going to be great. Um, and that ends up being the highlight of the tour because I'm excited to bring them in there because I don't go in there all the time, you know. Um, so it's all about maintaining the, the, the enthusiasm of, of the guide um, because if the guide's enthusiastic about what they're showing, then the people will be able to pay attention and, and really get into it, you know. Um, and it's exactly as you say, you know, it's a unique experience. Every tour I do is different. You know, we don't have any scripts that we follow. Um, it's all natural. It has to flow like that. It can't be like a lecture like a talk right so it's it's got to be it's got to be somewhat spontaneous it's got to be natural yeah i love that and um congratulations on everything you got going on and thanks for teaching us about irish culture today and the history some of the history and uh yeah giving us some travel tips i think we covered a ton and i guess we'll be meeting up in uh Fleda Kiol in molingar i guess so that, that's Close kinda, enough. kind of what i'm thinking you know, just throwing it out there. If you have any, uh, you know, hookups there or anything, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to look for my uh, bed and breakfast after this call, I think. No, seriously, I think that's something you probably have to book pretty soon in all sincerity. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate you reaching out. All right, Jason. Well, thanks very much for having me. It was great to, to have a chat with you. And uh, I'm looking forward to your visit here in Dublin so that we can, we can have a longer chat. Yeah. And we can have some break crack together. That sounds good, man. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye. There you have it. Thanks again to Garvin for stopping by, sharing his knowledge on Ireland. And I don't know. What do you think? Should we all plan a trip there? Should we all meet up there or something? Do you want... Should we do some trips together? I don't know. If that's something you're interested in, let me know. I'll organize some stuff. It will be so fun to get a bunch of people together in this community. Of course, we're doing that at Camp Indy, as I mentioned at the top of the show. If you go to campindie.com, we're doing a big summer camp event. It's like a conference where you can learn some awesome stuff, but it's taking place at a summer camp. Who doesn't want to go to summer camp again? It's June 12th through the 14th, campindie.com. So if you want to come hang out there and meet a bunch of other cool people, then I would love to see you there. Let me know if you came, if you heard about this on the podcast. Other than that, I'm always up for planning more stuff. So if you want to plan some trips or something, you got some ideas, you just want to say hi, you want to share your story, you want to recommend a guest for the podcast, do it up. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email, and I read them all. If I haven't gotten back to you, I apologize. Uh, I'm a little backed up on the email, but I will say I read them all, I go through them all, and I love you all. I'm so grateful that you're all part of this community. This is a community-powered show, and I'm always looking for your feedback. So get in touch, and please do that anytime. Now, I'm going to leave you with a quote. Before I do that, one more shout-out somebody in this community. It's Alexandra. She said, Hi, Jason. I hope your year is off to a good start with a ton of adventures in the works. Just want to say I finally did the thing and started a blog. I've actually been working on it for quite a bit. It's called Trial and Error Travel. I really appreciate your advice to just get it out there and do it. I've learned so much and received so much kind feedback. What an adventure in and of itself. Thanks again. Congratulations. Um, not everybody wants to have a blog or start a website, but if that was something you wanted to do, it sounds like it was, Alexandra. 
and you put it out there to the world. That's a huge deal. I want to say thanks again. And I wanted to highlight something in the email here. She said, I've learned so much and received so much kind feedback. What an adventure in and of itself. That's incredible because I think it's easy to kind of just not do things that we want to do sometimes because they seem overwhelming or hard. And I'm sure we're starting a travel blog right now and seeing all the competition and where's this going to go. You never know, right? But aren't all new things an adventure in and of themselves? I mean, if you want to pick up the guitar and learn the guitar, you're not going to be Jimi Hendrix right away. But it's the adventure and the enjoyment that goes with the process. So I just wanted to share this email to highlight that point because that's key. I don't know when this is hitting your ears, but maybe there's something churning in your brain where you're like, hey, you know, I've been thinking about doing this thing, but I don't know, whatever. Just remember, maybe that thing will teach you a lot, even if it doesn't end up with the same results that you plan for. And maybe you'll get a lot of nice feedback too. And maybe, just maybe, it'll be an adventure in and of itself, another type of adventure. And uh, there's anything you can say about this audience. We love travel and we love adventure, don't we? Don't we love that as a community here? I know I do. And from the emails and all the conversations I've had with people that listen to the show, hey, I think you're you're of the same mindset. I think I think you like a little bit of adventure too, I would say. <laughs> okay. I am going to finish this up with a quote from Oscar Wilde who said, "Be afraid of nothing." Wow. I mean, look at that. Four words. Pretty powerful. Be afraid of nothing. I mean, I don't know if that's realistic, but what a thing to strive for, huh? Be afraid of nothing. That is a, that's a big ask, I would say, right? I'll leave you with one more. It's an Irish proverb that says, may the road rise to meet you. A little more uh, mystical one there. There you go. A couple little snippets of inspiration for you. Thanks again for your time. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Have a wonderful day. Smile. Take a chance today. Book a trip. Do something crazy. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy the rain. Enjoy the hail. Enjoy the fog. Enjoy whatever comes your way today. Thanks again for your time. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.